The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. When Mary and Joseph had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. So if you've been following Father Donald Calloway and his consecration to St. Joseph, you probably would have heard what's known as the Holy House of Loreto. So the Holy House of Loreto is what is believed to be the house of the Holy Family. And what's fascinating about it is that where it should be in Nazareth, in fact, it is not. It's actually in Loreto. And so the history of this house is this, that in 1291, this house had existed in Nazareth, but eventually it was moved by angels to Croatia. And then after three years, it was eventually moved to Loreto, Italy as well. And so many people are skeptical about how this was possible, and they think that maybe someone disassembled it and reassembled it, or they carried the house. But there's a few peculiar things that it's hard to add up. For example, the distance from Nazareth to Italy is about 3,800 kilometers so not only would they have to carry the house or they have to assemble the bricks, they have to carry it all the way there. What's interesting too is that they did a chemical analysis of the wood and the stone and the mortar. And what they found was that these materials were native to Nazareth. And so myself, I, I'm not sure what to believe, but what I find interesting is that you, people ask the question, well, why would the angels move this holy house? And they moved this house because they discovered that in 1291, it would have been destroyed by the warring nations there, and it would have been destroyed in Croatia as well, too. And so the reason why God wanted to protect this house was because this was the house of the Incarnation. This was where the Word became flesh. This was where the Holy Family lived and prayed together. And so regardless of what you believe about this house, I think all of us can agree on one thing together, that God desires to protect the Holy Family, in fact, all families, because He believes that Family is sacred. And that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate the feast of the Holy Family. We are reminded of the example of the Holy Family, but also what we're reminded as well, encouraged in our life to live as families as well. And what's really beautiful about the Holy Family is that Jesus, he could have come to earth in any other way. 
The angels showed up and they appeared in bodily form. And so Jesus could have showed up in that same way too. But he desired to be born of a human family. I think that's so significant. It's very symbolic. In some ways, what St. John Paul II says is that he comes not only to give an eloquent example of what holy family life is like, but also he comes to show that the charity that's lived within holy family can be lived within our families as well. As a priest, I kind of get an outsider's perspective of family life. In fact, even as a friend to many of my, pe- my people as well. Uh, a lot of my friends are now young adults now, and they're having children. And it's funny, as a priest, I get to experience, interestingly enough, many engagements. They always want me to, they want to propose, and then the priest kind of pops out and blesses their, <laughs> the union that they got into. So I've seen actually several engagements. So I've been on that journey of seeing engagement, and then marriage, and then family life. And of course, as we all know from our experience, family life is hard. But Jesus enters into that. In our gospel today, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they experience the difficulty of family life themselves. When they come to offer sacrifice, they do what's known as the rite of redeeming the firstborn child as a memory of the Exodus story. And so in redeeming the firstborn child, you normally have to offer a lamb. But if you're too poor to offer a lamb, you would offer two pigeons or or turtle doves. And so Mary and Joseph, guess what they offer? They don't offer a lamb because they're too poor. They actually offer a pigeon and two turtle doves. And so the holy family experienced poverty. They experienced difficulty. So that's the beauty of the holy family, that Jesus enters into the difficulty of family life to give us the grace so that we can enter into family life as well. But what's really important for us to consider, especially in our world today, is well, what is a family? Right? We talk about the holy family, but what do we mean by family? And in, in connection with that as well, too, is what is marriage? Because marriage is at the core of what a family is. And of course, if we ask everybody here today, we'd probably all say, well, You know, marriage is between two people who love each other. And what happens is that we give primacy to the love that's there. And love is important, of course. But in our culture, and this is the cultural definition of marriage, we give primacy to these romantic feelings for the other person. But what it does is that it becomes logically unsustainable if you carry it out in other relationships. For example, many people hold to this definition and then they say, well, if I have romantic feelings for these people, why can't I have it more than just one person? Or if I have these romantic feelings, why can't they just end when I choose? Or if I have these romantic feelings, why do I have to follow the traditional form of it? So for example, there's a a type of arrangement which is called, instead of a wedlock, you can enter into a wed lease. So you can enter into, you know, like a five-year term of marriage, and after good behavior, you can renew it, right? (laughs) But, and and, and this this is not, I'm not just making this up, this is in the Washington Post, right? This is something that is something people are considering because of the high rates of divorce. They say, well, why don't we get people to lock in money so to encourage compliance to keep their term, right? Or there's another form of marriage where a person, this lady in France in 2013, she married a bridge. Right? If I have romantic feelings for another person, that's the determination of what a marriage is. Why can't I have romantic feelings for a bridge? And so there's a picture of the mayor and her fans, friends there kind of celebrating this marriage or this union. 
And there's actually, she actually put a ring on the bridge as well, too. And I know you're like, Father Joe, that sounds crazy. And I know. But what I'm trying to get across is this. Is that if we hold marriage to only be the love between two people, how they feel about one another, then that can be expanded to other realities as well. And that's why the church holds that it's not just the love between two people, but she gives a particular structure to it as well too. That's why the church says that a marriage is a union between a man and a woman, open to life for the good of the spouses. That's the structure and the format of marriage. And the thing is, if we don't have a proper understanding of marriage, what happens is that it has so many consequences for our world. If you go on, I think there's a website about fatherlessness on the website about U.S., and they talk about fatherlessness in the U.S. And those who grew up without fathers have a higher chance of poverty, of teenage pregnancy, of incarceration. They, the stat they give is that 80 to 90% of the people who are in jail have no fathers in their life. And so it is, having an intact family is so important for society. In fact, there was another study, Scott Hahn quoted the study in the 1930s, I believe it was from Oxford, and this, uh, this person, this researcher, looked at all these ancient civilizations, and he looked at what caused them to flourish and what caused them to not to flourish. And he measured it on levels of like engineering and arts and health and science and all these different things. And he said the nations that flourished the most had two things in common. They practiced chastity before marriage, and they had permanence in marriage. And so you see how marriage is so important. It has wide-ranging effects on the rest of society, on the rest of the world, literally. But most importantly, theologically, we would say that marriage is so important because it reminds us of our destiny. That's the supernatural reason for why we hold marriage in this way. Think about it from God's perspective. God is infinite, eternal love, and he desires to bring his children back to him. And he wants a way to remind his children every day of the beauty and mystery of his love. And God says, ah, I will create marriage. I will stamp this reality in their bodies so that as they live this reality out in their daily lives, they will be reminded of the source of their love, God himself. That's God's desire and plan for marriage as a sign. That's why as Christians we call marriage a sacrament. A sacrament is a sign that points to a reality greater than itself. And that's why St. Paul, he quotes the book of Genesis. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And he's quoting Genesis there, but then he adds a little part here, which is so important. And this is a great mystery. And that word mystery in Latin is sacramentum. This is a great sacrament. This is a great sign. But he says this, St. Paul says, but I mean it in reference to Christ and the church. And so what St. Paul's trying to say is that the marriage between man and woman doesn't just reveal the love of God generally, it reveals Christ's love for the church. It reveals God's love and desire to marry us. God's desire to be in union with us for all eternity. 
And marriage is this earthly sign, it's the best sign that we have on earth that speaks of this mystery hidden from all eternity. That's why marriage is so important. And if we confuse the sign, we will confuse our destination. Think about it this way. Imagine if I took um, all the stop signs in the world and I cut them into squares and then I painted them green and I wrote go, right? What would happen to society? There would be mass chaos and confusion. And so in the same way too, in our society, because we are confused about what marriage is, there is mass chaos and confusion in our world today. You know, before, on top of every altar sometimes, there is what's known as a baldacchino. We don't have it here, but if you go to the Vatican, they have a baldacchino over the altar. It's also known as a canopy, or some people would say a wedding canopy. And what the church is trying to reveal to us is that what's happening here in this altar is not just a sacrifice. It's the bridegroom giving himself to his bride, the church. Jesus is giving himself to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity at every Mass to remind us of that marital union that he desires with us. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family, we pray that we may live according to this mystery. We pray as well, too, that as we reflect upon the mystery of the family, we may be led to the mystery of heaven, where God desires to be with us for all eternity. And so when Jesus gives himself today in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, what will you give to him today?